anyone is, uh, has any wonder in your mind what I, what I do when I step here to the transmitter, what I'm doing is through the mixer board turning off the, the volume of the, the other mic so that there's only one mic carrying sound to, uh, to everyone in, in the parking lot. I, of course, some of this is still a test in process. You know, we're, I'm, we're all working on this and, and going forward, but just to make sure everyone in the parking lot is still able to hear my voice, just toot your horn for me if you would, that you're still able to hear me. Everyone still hear me. We're thankful for this, uh, this precious opportunity that God's given us to meet together in the house of the Lord. We thoroughly enjoyed the song service. We very much appreciate the prayer that's been offered by our, our precious brother in the Lord. We'd ask that each one of you would pray for us as we, as we stand before you. A few weeks ago, we looked at a verse of scripture in the book of Job, chapter 22 and verse 21. And it was there that it was Eliphaz the Temanite that spoke these words and they're true words. Even though they did not have specific and direct application to Job, their true words when he said, Acquaint now thyself with him and be at peace. What Eliphaz is saying is the more you know about him, the more peace you will be able to experience in your life. And we are able to say with confidence by our own experience, the more that our mind is focused on the Lord, what we have in him, and the less our mind is focused on this world and the troubles of this world, the more peace we, we have in our lives. And if you recall, a few weeks ago, we looked um, at the Lord Jesus Christ, being more acquainted with him as the, as the promised son. Then we put forth an effort on the Lord Jesus Christ, the substitutionary lamb. We looked at the Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect servant of the Father. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I... I trust that you do. I'd encourage you to bring your Bibles to the house of the Lord. I think any sound and honest pastor, preacher, would really appreciate the congregation searching and putting him to the test. Turn your Bibles with me to the book of Numbers chapter 5. The book of Numbers chapter 5, and this morning, if God would be our helper, I'd like for us to look at the Lord Jesus Christ, the loving husband of the bride. The loving husband of the bride. Now here in Numbers chapter 5, as we begin reading, in verse 11, we're going to read through the end of the chapter. And I'd already mentioned that this was a law, a civil law. If you remember last week, I made reference to the law that was given by God to Moses to give to the children of Israel from Mount Sinai. That law was given in, in three contexts. You had the moral law, the, the Ten Commandments that still stand today. Now concerning the condemnation of that law, that law is not able to condemn the children of God because Jesus Christ has satisfied the law in our room instead. The law was also given in the context of a ceremonial law. If you recall, the entire book of Leviticus was about the ceremonial law, the ins and outs of the Levitical priesthood, but there are also civil laws that were given by God to the children of Israel and how they should interact and treat one another. And now these civil laws uh, do not have place and standing in, in the kingdom of God. The laws that we have, the civil laws we have, are the commandments of the Lord to love one another, to forgive one another, to be kind to one another. Those are our civil laws in the kingdom of God, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. But here in Numbers chapter 5, we have a law that was given by the Lord to Moses. It was a civil law. 
and it's the law of the jealous husband. And we're going to look at this, and we're going to trust that the Lord would bless us to take this and go straight to Calvary and the Lord Jesus Christ, that we could know more about him, the loving husband of the bride. Look with me at Numbers chapter 5, verse 11. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, If any man's wife go aside and commit a trespass against him, this is concerning adultery and fornication, and a man lie with her carnally, and it be hid from the eyes of her husband, and be kept close, and she be defiled, and there is no witness against her, neither she be taken with the manner. And the spirit of jealousy come upon him, and he be jealous of his wife, and she be defiled. Or if the spirit of jealousy come upon him, and he be jealous of his wife, and she be not defiled, then shall the man bring his wife unto the priest, and he shall bring her offering for her the tenth part of an ephah of barley meal. And he shall pour no oil upon it, nor put frankincense thereon, for it is an offering of jealousy, an offering of memorial bringing iniquity to remembrance. And the priest shall bring her near and set her before the Lord. And the priest shall take holy water in an earthen vessel. And of the dust that is in the floor of the tabernacle, the priest shall take and put it into the water. And the priest shall set the woman before the Lord and uncover the woman's head and put the offering of memorial in her hands, which is the jealousy offering. And the priest shall have in his hand the bitter water that causeth the curse. And the priest shall charge her by an oath and say unto the woman, If no man have lain with thee, and if thou hast not gone aside to uncleanness with another instead of thy husband, be thou free from this bitter water that causeth the curse. But if thou hast gone aside to another instead of thy husband, and if thou be defiled, and some man have lain with thee beside thine husband, then the priest shall charge the woman with an oath of cursing. And the priest shall say unto the woman, The Lord make thee a curse, and an oath among thy people, when the Lord doth make thy thigh to rot, and thy belly to swell. And this water that causeth the curse shall go into thy bowels to make thy belly to swell, and thy thigh to rot, and the woman shall say, Amen, Amen. And the priest shall write these curses in a book, and shall blot them out with the bitter water, and he shall cause the woman to drink the bitter water that causeth the curse, and the water that causeth the curse shall enter into her and become bitter. Then the priest shall take the jealousy offering out of the woman's hand, and shall wave the offering before the Lord, and offer it upon the altar. And the priest shall take a handful of the offering, even the memorial offering, and burn it upon the altar. And afterward shall cause the woman to drink the water. And when he hath made her to drink the water, then it shall come to pass that if she be defiled and have done trespass against her husband, that the water that caused the curse shall enter into her and become bitter, and her belly shall swell. And her thigh shall rot, and the woman shall be a curse among her people. And if the woman be not defiled, but be clean, then she shall be free, and shall conceive seed. This is the law of jealousies, when the wife goeth aside to another, 
instead of her husband and is defiled. I'm going to leave off those last two verses as they would just add more commentary concerning what we've, we've already read. The law of the jealous husband. What does this teach us about the Lord and his people? How do we learn more about the Lord? By looking at this, this civil law that God gave to Moses to give to the children of Israel. You know, there's no word of God that's just there to take up space. Every letter, every mark of punctuation is there for our learning, that we would know more about the Lord and the way that he's commanded us to live in this life. When we consider the relationship between the Lord and his people, it's depicted for us in many different ways throughout the Bible. You know, that relationship we have with him is depicted for us as a father-children relationship. He is our father in heaven, and we are his children. I'm glad that I've got a hope that I'm just one of God's little children. And that's all I ever want to be, just one of God's little children. Have you ever noticed that the little children never cause any trouble? It's always the big kids that cause trouble. I'm glad just to be one of God's little, little children. That relationship between the Lord and his people is also depicted, taught to us as, as a shepherd and sheep. He is our shepherd in heaven. We are his, his sheep that are guided by his hand. He loved us. And gave himself for us in our room instead. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. He's also called the great shepherd in Hebrews 13, 20. And there in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 4, he's called the chief shepherd of the sheep. The relationship between God and his children is also depicted, taught to us, as a relationship between a husband and his bride. The Lord being the husband... The children of God being the bride. If you recall, it was John, in John chapter 3 and verse 29. He said of the Lord Jesus Christ, He that hath, notice it didn't say he that will have, he that hath the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, that's himself, John the Baptist, which standeth and heareth him, doth greatly rejoice because of the bridegroom's Voice. John said, all I am is just the friend of the bridegroom. If you remember, the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25, Husbands, love your wives. How should we love our wives? Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. The Apostle Paul here in this context is using the church at Ephesus as a representative of the elect family of of God, God's children. They were the representative people of God on earth, and we husbands should love our wives as Christ loved his bride, the church, the family of God. And as we look at this civil law here in Numbers chapter 5, I'd like for us to keep that in mind, how the relationship between God's people and himself is taught to us as a relationship between the husband the groom, and the bride. Here in this particular law, we find a man that's, that's jealous. He's jealous of his wife. This is the law of the jealous husband. He's suspicious. He thinks, my wife has gone aside. She's turned to another man, but there's no witness that bore witness to that. He couldn't get her to confess to the crime, so the Lord gives this civil law. He gives this to the priest, the Children of Israel commanded, if a man is jealous 
of his wife. He would bring her to the priest. That priest would take holy water in a vessel. He would mix the dust from the tabernacle floor. And as they would go through this ceremony, she would drink that and it would be known. It would be brought to a state of manifestation what she had done, if she was guilty or not. If she was guilty, of course, her belly would swell and her leg would rot. But if she was clean, had not committed any fornication, adultery against her husband, then she'd be free from, from the matter. You know, when I consider our husband, the groom, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that God is a jealous God. The Lord is mercy, the Lord is goodness, the Lord is grace, but the Lord is also jealous. Have you ever noticed in Exodus chapter 34 and verse 14, the Bible teaches us that the name of the Lord is jealous. If you want to know something about righteous jealousy, you can look at God. God is a jealous God. We can even go there to Zephaniah chapter 1 verse 18, find he is a jealous God. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 24, the Lord is a consuming fire. He is a jealous God. Do you recall in Isaiah chapter 42 and verse 6, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another. The Lord is free with his grace, but very jealous of his glory. God is a jealous God. This man that's considered in this context was a man that is suspicious. Suspicious of his bride. And this man, this is his wife. He has went through all the steps concerning a Hebrew marriage. She is his, with him, belongs to him. He is his wife. Or she is his wife. He is her husband. And they're together in that house. And you know, when you consider just what was required of a man to, to have a wife under Hebrew law, that will also teach you a lot about the relationship that we have with the Lord. You know, the relationship in the Old Testament between a husband and bride, that was not a relationship that was instigated by a man approaching the woman. No, it, was, it began with the man approaching her father or the one that was the head of the house. If you remember when Jacob, he wanted Rachel to be his wife. He didn't go to Rachel. No, he went to her dad, Laban. When that approach is made... There would be a covenant agreement made concerning marriage, and he would be required to pay a dowry to her family concerning that marriage and them being together. He would also have to give gifts to prove that he's able to provide for his bride, and the last step of that is, of course, the bride going home with her husband. I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, concerning our marriage with the Lord, that was fixed by the Lord Jesus Christ and our Father in heaven before the world began. The Lord Jesus Christ came into the world and he paid the dowry price for us on the cross. We have now been receiving the earnest, just part of his riches here in this life, like Eliezer put the jewelry upon Rebekah, showing the riches of Isaac, who she would be married to. We're receiving the earnest of that in our experience and fellowship with the Lord. The last step of this is when the Lord comes and gets his bride and takes us home to glory and we're in his house forever and ever. This man has already went through all those steps for this woman to be married to him. She is his. He is hers. They are together and he is jealous. He is suspicious. But he doesn't know. There's no witness. She will not commit 
to expressing her crime, what she has done. So what does he do? I'll take you to the priest. We're going to find out. I'm jealous of my wife. You know, we consider the Lord and us. The Lord's not suspicious. He knows what we are. The Lord's not suspicious that we're unclean. No, the Lord knows in our nature that we're unclean. How many times in the Bible is unfaithfulness and sin taught to us as adultery, fornication, even using the word whoredoms? You'll find in Jeremiah chapter 3, Jeremiah chapter 4, Ezekiel chapter 16 and Ezekiel chapter 23, when Israel, God's people, turned away from God, it was referred to as fornication and adultery. Brothers and sisters, in the sight of God, concerning sin, we are sinners and he knows it. We're unclean by our own works. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. The Lord has searched us. Psalms 139, verses 1 through 8. He knows us. He knows our down-sitting and our uprising. He knows our every thought. He knows our every works and knows that we are unclean spiritually, brothers and sisters. Every person in the sight of God is unclean. We're full of adulteries and fornications. We're not fit to be with him. Yet the Lord still loves us. The Lord still has that covenant love for us that doesn't change. You know, when I consider us and what we are in the sight of God and what we've been to the Lord, I'm reminded of a prophet in the Old Testament. His name is, his name is Hosea. Turn there with me to the book of Hosea real quick. You know, sometimes the prophets of the Lord are called upon to do some, some strange things. These strange things I have termed, this is my terminology, is, is action sermons. What is an action sermon? An action sermon would come about when the Lord's children would not listen to God. They would not hear Him when the prophet would speak. See, the prophet was sent by the Lord to represent God to the people. But when they would not hear, God would call on the prophet to perform an action sermon that they would know, know their sin and know how they were committing evil in the sight of God. Do you recall there in Isaiah chapter 20 when Isaiah dressed up like a prisoner and walked among the children of Israel, showing their sin and how it would bring them into bondage to Egypt? Do you recall there in Jeremiah chapter 27 when Jeremiah took a yoke and put it upon his shoulder and wore it in the sight of the people, showing that their sin would, would bring them to the yokes of bondage of Babylon? Do you recall there in Jeremiah chapter 13 when Jeremiah took the garment and, and hid it under a rock and it became marred and filthy and he wore those filthy garments in the presence of all Israel, showing that God saw the filth of their sin? Maybe you recall there in Ezekiel chapter 4 when Ezekiel was like playing toy soldier, when he took a tile, a brick, and he carved upon it the city of Jerusalem and put the iron pan between him and the tile, showing that the Lord, he saw their sin and saw their transgression. And do you remember he laid on his right side for 390 days looking at that, at that clay brick? 
What do those 390 days represent? Those 390 days represent the 390 years of ungodly kings. From the midst of Rehoboam all the way to the 11th year of Zedekiah, it was 390 ungodly years that God saw. And he told him to turn over and lay on his other side for 40 days. It represented the 40 ungodly years of Manasseh that God would not that God would not set aside. God remembered those sins. And he played that toy soldier right there in the midst of the people. It was an action sermon. But there is no action sermon in Scripture, in my humble estimation, any more painful than the one God called upon Hosea to do. In Hosea's day, the children of Israel were in, a, in an ungodly state. They were in a state of spiritual fornication and adultery. He's called on Hosea to go and preach to them. But God, his will was that Hosea would experience in his heart the grief that Israel had caused the Lord. And so the Lord called on Hosea. If you notice with me in verse 2 of Hosea chapter 1, he said, go take thee a wife among the whoredoms. Go among the prostitutes and pick you out a wife. And so he went and he, he chose Gomer. And Gomer was his wife, a woman from the whoredom. If you'll notice in the process of time in verse 6, she had already conceived and she bore a son. If you'll notice in verse 3 with me, she conceived and bare. Notice what it says, bear him, Hosea, a son. And they called his name Jezreel. In verse 6, she conceived again and bare him a daughter. Is that what your Bible says? Mm-mm. It says bear a daughter. It wasn't Hosea's. She committed fornication against him. We go a little further in verse 8. She conceived and bare him a son. Is that the way your Bible reads? Mm-mm. No, she conceived and just bare a son. She committed adultery again. She continued to be joined to her lovers, committing adultery. If you'll notice with me in chapter 2, it was Hosea calling on the children to plead with your mother. That she'd put her lovers away from her. Stop committing this fornication and adultery. Notice in verse 5 of chapter 2, For their mother hath played the harlot. She that hath conceived them hath done shamefully. Plead with your mother. All of this teaching Hosea's calling that he would plead with Israel that they would quit committing fornication and adultery against the Lord. Finally, in chapter 3, Gomer has been joined to her lovers committing fornication and adultery so much in prostitution, she gets herself in, in a type of bondage and she's on an auction block to be sold to men. And God told Hosea, Go and purchase her. And this man of God went to the auction block of prostitutes and purchased his own wife. In my humble estimation, there's no more painful of an action sermon than the one preached by Jose. All of this was for him to know by experience the way Israel had treated God. All of this is for us, that we would know by our actions how we have treated God. And just as the Lord knew the sins of Israel, God knows our sin, that we've all sinned. 
and come short of the glory of God. Now comes the law. The woman would be set before the priest. A cup would be filled with pure water, holy water. The dust from the tabernacle floor mixed and she would drink and she would suffer the consequence of her sin. She would face her sin and what she had done and her belly would swell and her leg would rot and it would be known that she was unclean in fornication. You know, when I consider this, what a painful day that must have been for that woman. If she was guilty and had it hid and no one knew what she had done, on that day it would be known and all Israel would know what she had done and how she had sinned against her husband. And brothers and sisters, we consider this law and how it's given to us and we take that to point to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're guilty before God. We deserve any just punishment we get. As a man told me once, Brother Ronnie, we're all working to get to the same place. I said, yeah, and that's hell. And if God didn't do something, we'll all get there. But when it comes time for you and I to face the consequence of our sin, the wrong that we have done, fornication, adultery that we've committed against God and turning from Him and living in our own ways. The loving husband of the bride did not stand aside and watch us drink the cup and suffer the consequence of our sin. It was the loving husband of the bride, the Lord Jesus Christ, the greatest husband of all, the example of all husbands that took the cup from our hand and drink it himself. The fury of God against sin in the Bible is referred to as a cup. Do you remember there in Psalms chapter 78, 75 and verse 8? In the hand of the Lord there is a cup. It's full of mixture. You remember the wicked, they shall drink it down. But the Bible says he poureth out of the same. The Lord Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary suffered the fury of God against our sin. He is the loving husband of the bride. The Lord's fury against sin is taught to us in Isaiah chapter 51 and verse 17. It's called a cup, a cup of fury. And what a glorious picture it is here for us when we look at the Lord and what he done on the cross in taking that bitter cup, that cup of fury, that cup that was rightfully ours to drink, that we would suffer the consequence of our fornication and adultery, and how we've turned against God. And it was the Lord Jesus Christ that took that cup, he come into the world, and he drank it to the last drop. So now there's no fury of God against us, but that hand of anger that was against us because of sin, now his hand is turned to a hand of welcome that we would be welcomed in his presence. Now that cup that the Lord Jesus Christ drank, that was a serious event. Turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 26. And the book of Matthew chapter 26, we're just hours before the Lord would, would go to the cross. Have the crown of thorns upon his head. His hands and feet pierced with the nails. His visage would be marred more than any man. His back would be whipped like a man plowing furrows in a garden. 
Psalms 129, verse 3, The plowers have plowed upon my back. They made long their furrows. The Lord Jesus Christ, he prayed here in a garden of Gethsemane. If you'll look with me in verse 38 of Matthew chapter 26, Jesus said, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. Have you just thought of the sorrow that the Lord Jesus Christ bore? I myself, in my experience, have felt the sorrow of my sin. Have you ever felt sorrow because of your sin? Have you ever had a time you just looked yourself in the mirror and said, I, I, I can't believe I did that? Have you ever had the sorrow of sin, just walked around looking at your shoes? I can't believe I, I did such a thing. David said in Psalms chapter 40 and verse 12, My iniquity has taken hold on me. So that I'm not able to look up. They're more than the hairs of my head. Therefore my heart faileth me. David said my sin has taken hold on me. I'm not able to even lift my, my head. But those were just your sins. Those were just mine. The Lord Jesus Christ on this night. Begins to experience the sorrow of the sins of the entire elect family of God. Upon his shoulders. And he would pray to the Father. And the Bible said his sweat became as it were. Notice it didn't become blood, but it became as it were great drops of blood falling to the ground. You know, that word as right there does a lot for that verse. I could say that a brother in the church ran as a rabbit. I'm not saying he's a rabbit. He just ran as a rabbit really quickly. Jesus, when he prayed, his sweat became as it were great drops of blood falling to the ground. Meaning it poured from his body like blood would pour from a wound. In verse 39, you notice he went a little further. Always remember this, dear children of God. No matter how far we go, Jesus went further. He separated himself from some of the disciples. Peter, James, and John went with him, but then he went further. No one in this world has suffered the way the Lord suffered. The sufferings of this life for us pale in comparison to the way the Lord Jesus Christ suffered. He suffered just being here in this world. The righteous, perfect, flawless, eternal Son of God being in this world. He suffered just being in the presence of sin. And then he went to the cross and he suffered. He went a little further. And notice he prayed, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup, what cup? The cup of his fury, pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. You know, I've heard this verse preached as though the Lord is praying to the Father and begging to get out of this. Father, if you will, let me get out of this tonight. That's not what he's saying. Well, he's saying it would pass, meaning go away from him. Not exactly. This word pass right here is in a sense of something passing away. Passing from in completion. What the Lord Jesus Christ is doing right here with the Father, He knows what's before Him. And it's declared unto us there's no other way. There's no other way for the fury of the Father to be satisfied except Jesus Christ would go to the cross and die in our room instead. What Jesus is saying is, My offering, what I'm doing, let this cause your fury to pass. 
so that you'd have no more anger. Notice it with me a little further in this chapter. Verse 42, and he went away again the second time and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. The only way it would pass is if he drink it, meaning pass away, be gone. Jesus Christ is saying to the Father, let this offering that I make unto you be satisfactory in your sight for the fury against my people's sin. But if it would require it for him to be in the grave forever to satisfy his Father, Jesus Christ would have done it. At the time when we should be drinking the cup of fury, it was the Lord Jesus Christ, the loving husband of the bride, that took that cup and he drank it for us. If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And the eternal Son of God, that had always been with the Father, that was one with the Father, he came into this world as the loving husband of the bride left his perfect throne of glory, came into this world and suffered and died and was humble under that wrath, that cup of fury in our room instead. And you know what we have now? Because he has done this, we're just like that woman. We're free. No fault can be found in her. If no fault was found in that woman in Numbers chapter 5, she was free. And because Jesus Christ has taken the cup, once the cup has been drank, there's no more in the cup. Jesus Christ, drink the cup. There's no more fury. The curse is gone. And now you'll notice with me in there in Numbers chapter 5, verse 28. The woman is free. What does that mean, brothers and sisters? That means the bride. Because the loving husband has taken the cup, we're now free. We're free from the condemnation of the curse of of our own sin. We commit the adultery. We commit the fornication. We're the ones that's unclean. But the loving husband of the bride. The Lord Jesus Christ that loved us. He took the cup. And praise God now we're free. What does that mean? That means there's nothing. According to Romans chapter 8 verse 32 and verse 33. Nothing can be laid to the bride's charge. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ has taken up our sins. He's taken them and sealed them up in a bag. The Lord Jesus Christ, according to Micah chapter 7 and verse 19, has cast our sins into the depths of the sea. Years ago, the United States military developed a submarine that could go deeper than any submarine in history. And they were on the radio speaking back and forth, and they asked the soldier that was under the water, they said, what can you see? He said, thank God Almighty, I can't see nothing because this is where the Lord cast my sin. By the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, Isaiah declares unto us the words concerning Hezekiah that he's cast our sins behind his back. Concerning the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and him being merciful to us, that work he has done has taken our sins away from the memory of God. He can't even remember a sin of the bride. Jesus Christ has drank the cup of the fury so that we now stand before the Father positionally in Him clean and just as if we never sinned. Isn't that good news? That's good news for poor sinners. So when we get to heaven, we're not going to get to heaven on a big screen TV there showing all our works, what we've done, hadn't done. No, when you get to heaven, it's going to be just like you never sinned. I've said this many times about the Gospel of Matthew chapter 25. 
In verse 31, when the Lord Jesus Christ shall come in his glory and set upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd would divide his sheep from the goats, and he'd put the sheep on his right hand, and he would say unto them, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Why? Because I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was sick, and you came unto me. I was in prison, and you visited me. You know, when I think about all that, have, have you done all those things? Have you? I haven't. Now, if we've done any of those things, it's just evidence that God is in us. But you know, there's one that did all those things. You know who he is? It's Jesus. He did all those things. He did all those things. And his righteousness has been imputed to you. Meaning all his works has been given to you. And your sins, he took them upon himself and drank the cup on the cross. So that when you get to heaven, you will be accepted in heaven. The way the Lord Jesus Christ was accepted in heaven. If you want to know how he was accepted, you go to Daniel chapter 7 and verse 13 and 14. When he came with the clouds of heaven back to glory, he was received right in. There will be no more opposition to you being in heaven than there was for the Lord Jesus Christ to ascend back and sit on his throne. Why? Because, because of his work. It's just as if you never, never sinned. And what if you had a husband like this in Numbers chapter 5 that saw his wife and he knew she was guilty. And he took the cup and drank it himself and suffered the curse. And she looked and saw how much he loved her. Do you think she'd really get to experience his love? If she says, I really don't want him and I don't want to live with him. I don't want to be around him. You know, dear children of God, one day we're all going to be in heaven with the Lord. Without the loss of one. I said this yesterday to a man at a visitation for Brother Everett. God's going to have everything he paid for. If the Lord paid for us on the cross, if he bought us, he's going to have us. How many of you have heard me tell the story about McDonald's? When the kids were little, you know, Sarah was just a baby, Joshua is about five or six years old. And I'm going to tell you, if you're in a car by yourself with kids, getting them out of the car seat and getting them back is not an easy task. Amen. <laughs> So the drive-thru is usually used by, by parents that's got little kids. And I've said this many times about McDonald's. I know you got these two windows. you got one you pay at and the other you get your food. I'll, I'll put a vote in to get three windows. I want the one that I pay, the two where I get it, and the third one where I can get what they didn't give me at the second. <laughs> Does that ever happen to you? I want to tell you when you got kids and you got to drive back around and get in line and all this hot heat, it makes it tough. Well, the kids and I, we went to McDonald's one day. I was going to get some food. Jennifer was at work. I paid for all the food. Went to the second and got the bag and started to drive off. And Joshua said, Daddy, my chicken nuggets is nothing but a box of pickles. I thought to myself, who gives kids pickles for chicken nuggets? You know what I did? I want my chicken nuggets. Well, Brother Ronnie, why did you want them? I paid for them. That's why. I paid for my chicken nuggets. I want my kids to have their chicken nuggets. So I went back and I got in line behind 14 other cars till I got back up there and got my chicken nuggets that I paid for. Brothers and sisters, if I'm determined to get my chicken nuggets I paid for, don't tell me the Lord's not going to get all he paid for. He's going to get all he paid for. We're all going to be in heaven. We're his bride. He paid the dowry for us. He's drank the bitter cup. But wouldn't it be sad if we, his bride, were not able to experience in this life? 
fellowship with a loving husband and bride. Not only do I appreciate the truth that he has taken the cup, the loving husband of the bride, and drinking the cup, and I've been set free, but I long to have fellowship with the bridegroom, the husband of the bride, the one that loved me enough to do that for me. You know, there's a disciple in the New Testament. He's called the disciple that Jesus loved. It's John, the apostle. And he would tell about his experience, the disciple that Jesus loved. You know, God loves all of his children the same, but not every child of God gets to experience the love of God as much as another. Children of God that walk close to the Lord, the bride that would walk close to her husband, has more fellowship with the bridegroom than the other children of God. John said in John chapter 13 there at the Passover when Jesus Christ introduced communion, he was the disciple that Jesus loved. He said, I laid my head in his bosom. Wow, what a rest he had there. How many children of God were on earth at that time? I don't know, multitudes. But he was able to lay his head in the bosom of the Lord. Can you just imagine his ear, John the Apostle's ear? He heard the heartbeat of the eternal Son of God manifested in perfect humanity, the heart that beat nothing but love for his bride. He heard that. You know, we come to the house of God, dear children of the Lord. We have this peace, and we hear his heartbeat through the gospel, the heart that beats. How much he loved you so much that he drank the bitter cup in your room instead to set you free from the sin that you've committed. We go further in the gospel, John. We'll find him in John chapter 19. It was John that was at the cross, and Jesus looked at him, the disciple that Jesus loved, said, Son, behold thy mother, mother, behold thy son. John was an apostle that Jesus loved. He had opportunities for service for other children of God. Have you ever longed in your heart to do something good for somebody else? You know why you have that longing? You're a child of God. <laughs> People are not children of God. They, don't, they just live for themselves and live for the moment. Now, People that live for a moment, they're living like Edomites. Esau, the one that God hated, he wouldn't worry about the future. He sold his, sold his birthright for this bowl of soup. Living for the moment. I mean, I long for opportunities of service. You know how to have more opportunities of service? Walk close to the Lord. That's how. Spend time with the bridegroom. You get more opportunities for service. More opportunities to do good. You remember it was John, the disciple that Jesus loved. John chapter 20. When Jesus arose, the sisters came to him. He was one of the first that got the information. He's alive. He's alive. And dear children of God, it's us that walk close to the Lord. The children of God that walk close to him. You get the information other children of God do not have. I heard some good preaching Wednesday night about the direct work of the Holy Spirit in regeneration, how the child of God knows God in their heart. Someone says, well, that's just kind of Primitive Baptist 101, kind of simple. I said, well, if it's so simple, why doesn't everybody know it? Right? If it's so simple, why doesn't everybody know that? I'm going to say like an old country boy would say, it ain't so simple, is it? If it's so simple, everybody know it. But the children of God that walk close to the Lord, they know. They know I don't have to teach somebody to know the Lord in their heart. I just got to teach their mind. I want to teach the mind of the child of God that they would know in their mind about the Lord that's in their heart. Somebody says, well, God can't get in your heart unless you let him. <laughs> Remember Elder Lonnie Mazingo Jr. told this story years ago. I was just a young preacher. He said he went to school one day and he come home from school and said, you know, Daddy, they told me the Lord can't get in my heart unless I let him. This is Elder Lonnie Mazingo Sr. I mean, you know, telling him that is like telling Kellogg's they run out of cornflakes. 
Martin Zegar Sr. went outside and said, don't you close the door, son. I'm going to knock and just act like you don't even know me. And I said, and, and don't open the door and let me in now. Just When I knock, you just crack the door open and see who I am. Lonnie Mazingo Sr. knocked on the door. Lonnie Jr. just opened up the door and said, who is it? So he just kicked the door down. There was Lonnie Jr. sitting on his backside on the living room floor. He said, son, look, he said, you can't even keep me out of the house. How are you going to keep God out of your heart? <laughs> How about the information of that? How many people understand what he understood that day? Walking close to the Lord, we have that. Remember in John chapter 21, it was Jesus come walking, come walking on the water again. They, they saw him. He's on the shore. They were fishing. If you remember Matthew chapter 14, he came walking on the water to them. They said, it's the Spirit. They didn't know who it was. But John, I'll tell you that day, he didn't say, it's the Spirit. He said, no, it's the Lord. It's the Lord. That one that walked close to the Lord to have fellowship with him, see, he grew spiritually with his spiritual senses. To know the presence of God. Have you ever been in the church house and you look over at some old brother or sister? I shouldn't say old, older, older brother and sister. Just have tears all in their eyes rejoicing the Lord and you're just sitting there like a, you know, like a lump on a log. Boy, this is, this is dry. How they, how they feel with the Spirit. See, they're able, they got better senses to recognize the presence of God. The presence of God. See, John, his senses has grown. You know how to improve your senses for the presence of God? Spend time with him. Spend time with him. John chapter 21 still it was Peter that looked at him and said, what about this disciple? It was the disciple that Jesus loved. What will he do? Jesus said, what is thee if he tarry till I come? It's none of your business. You just do what I'm telling you. John learned that day that if I'm going to be the disciple that Jesus loves and walk close with him, a lot of people's going to be watching me. Your dear children of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the loving husband of the bride, we're guilty, but he took the cup, the cup that should have been ours to drink, and he drank it. He drank it all. So now there's no fury of the Father against our sin. We're free. Don't you want to live close to him? Don't you want to hug his neck? Don't you want to spend time with him at the supper table? Don't you want to live in such a way people can see that you love him? The Apostle Paul told the people of Macedonia, work out your own salvation, meaning work that that's on the inside to the outside that others Others can see. Do you want people to know that you love him? I love him. I love Jesus. You know why? He did something for me that I couldn't do for myself. He did something for me that no one else could do. He is the loving husband of the bride. He's given me a perfect example of what I should be as a husband for my wife. And may God give us grace to love him more and more and more and more until we get to that great day of celebration when the loving husband of the bride comes and gets his bride and takes us home, and we'll live in his house that he built for us forever and ever and ever and ever. May God richly bless us, our prayer.